right, so we are nearly at the end of the book of Romans. Woo! You have nearly made it. And this is especially exciting for me because this is the second to last Sunday that I'm with you guys for a few months as I am heading back to the States. Hopefully I've mentioned that before. If this is news to you, I'm like, what? Um, that's what's happening. So Molly and I will talk about that a little bit later as well. But So we've got two weeks of Romans left before I pass the baton to Aaron Ironside, who is going to finish it off uh, for us. And then you'll be hearing from a range of different people over the next few months towards to, to get us to the end of the year about a range of different topics. Uh, it's going to be fantastic. So as we are near the end of the book of Romans, we've kind of passed this turning point that Ian mentioned last week in Romans 12, where we've moved from this deep, heavier thinking portion of Romans, where we're just kind of trudging through all of these very eloquent, he's very professory, he's got a lot of heavy stuff to talk about, and it's good, it's very good, uh, but sometimes it's a little harder to sort of make our way through. Um, and then we're moved now into more of this practical application, which is a little bit more fun, a little bit like, oh, I can read that and then go and do that, and I don't have to sort of sit down with a commentary and use my doctorate to figure it out. So it's quite good. Now, if you've been reading the book of Romans, and if you've read it before, you may feel like you get to the chapter 12, and you sort of move in through the next few chapters, and it seems like Paul has been sort of beating this one drum constantly for 11 chapters. It's not works, it's faith. It's not works, it's faith. It's not works, it's faith. So he's got this one theme through 11 chapters. And then suddenly he gets to chapter 12, and it's almost like he shifts mode into scattershot, and he's got a hundred different things that he's saying all at once on a hundred different topics. And it could be like, whoa, slow down there, Paul. I mean, you don't have to finish this book right away. So let's, let's move through this a little slowly. And it seems like it's a little bit all over the place. However, I believe there is one very simple theme throughout all of these chapters towards the end. It's actually a theme that Ian uh, brought up very well last week. And it's Romans 12.1, and I'm going to use the translation he used because I really like the way he explained it. He says, Therefore I exhort you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, which explains the previous 11 chapters, because we have been given mercy, because we have been rescued, because of all of the amazing things God's done, to present our bodies, or our, our bodies, mind, soul, our everything, as a sacrifice, alive, holy, and pleasing to God, which is your reasonable service. So we are to give ourselves to a practical service to God because of everything that He has done, right? Does that make sense? So the rest of the chapters sort of outline different ways that we can do that. So there, it may seem a little scattershot, but it's actually he's just giving us different pockets of ideas of how we can serve God, how we can thank Him and respond to Him for all of the amazing rescuing that He has done in the first 11 chapters. And so he sort of um, goes through this, and we can sort of give ourselves a little bit of a roadmap for the, for the next three chapters, um, two or three chapters, of Romans, and we can see how it plays out. So we sort of start last week, um, Ian talked about 12, 1 to 13, which is serving each other with our gifts. That's one way we can serve God is to serve each other with the gifts that we've been given. And then he moves on to the next section in 12, 14 to 21 by blessing those who persecute you. And we're going to jump into that in a second. 
And then he goes on in 13, 1 to 7, about respecting our, the authorities, the government that has been put in place. We actually talked about that almost to this day two years ago during the elections. I don't know if anyone was here for that or you remembered that, but you can go back on the podcast. Um, Culture shift elections was the message. And um, we talked about this very passage about how we respond to our government. Um, and then moving on from there, he talks in 13, 8 to 14 about the urgency of all of this as the time is sort of drawing near. And then in 14, 1 to 15, 7, which is a slightly longer chunk, he starts talking about how we deal with those who disagree with us. So it seems all very sort of random, but there is this common theme of because we have been rescued, we are giving ourselves to God to serve Him practically, and it plays out in some of these different ways. And then at the end of the chapter, Paul sort of wraps things up and signs off, um, which more to that than, than we think, which Aaron's going to uh, sort of um, plug into a little bit in a couple of weeks. All right, so we're going to look at Romans 14 next week, that last section at the back. And I mentioned we've already talked about Romans 13 and um, Romans 12, 1 to 13. So what we're going to do this week is we're going to take those other two. I want to start with Romans 13, uh, verses 8 to 14, or 11 to 14. Um, and I want to start by, by looking at this urgency where Paul gives us a perspective of not just what we should be doing, but how important it is to us. Let's have a look at what he says. He says, this is all the more urgent. Right into it, good on. For you know how late it is. Time is running out. Wake up, for your salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is almost gone. The day of salvation will soon be here. So remove your dark deeds like dirty clothes and put on the shining armor of right living. Because we belong to the day, we must live decent lives for all to see. Don't participate in the darkness of wild parties and drunkenness or sexual promiscuity or immoral living or quarreling and jealousy. Instead, clothe yourself with the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ and don't let yourself think about ways to indulge your evil desires. The key thing here is that phrase, time is running out. If it, if you, how many kids have got, um, play sports? How many parents have kids who play sports? Sorry. And you go along, and so my, 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 um, one of my youngest, he, he plays hockey. And so we go along to, to a hockey stadium, and um, we're watching the game. And, of course, I kind of get into it. I'm kind of one of those parents who's like, you know, shouting encouragement. I try not to be negative. Yeah, you and me, you too, Brooke. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You're a coach and you get into it. Well, you should. You're the coach. Okay, you will understand this story. So, right. Yeah, okay, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, you've got to work on the quarreling aspect of this. Okay, so we've got some therapy going on over here in this section. Um, Brooke's kind of working through some of his, his issues here. But, no, you'll understand this story. So when you're watching the game from the sideline and then you see the clock is ticking down, right? And it's getting down. It's like a minute left. It's about 40 seconds left. And you're on the sideline and you're like, hurry up, pick up the pace. We're going to score a goal. We're going to do this. And you're like, hurry, hurry. And the kids are like moving and kind of like, who do I want to pass to? And they're like slowly going, I'm like, it's running out. Time is ticking. Pay attention. Wake up. And they're like, 
do you want the ball? Okay. And possible. <laughs> we're just like, shoot. This is when we get aneurysms. All right. This is the reason that healthcare is, is expensive for our country. But so this is the sort of situation we end up as parents and we're just like, we can see the clock is running out. Pick up the pace. Pay attention. Be aware. This is what Paul is doing to us right now. Paul is sitting there. He's looking at the scoreboard. He doesn't know the exact time, but he knows it's running out. To his mind, Jesus was probably going to come back before he died even. He didn't know. He wasn't expecting 2,000 years. And we've kind of gotten to this stage, well, it's been 2,000 years. It's probably going to be another 2,000 more, maybe before Jesus comes back. Who knows? We don't know, but Paul is saying, pay attention. The clock is running out. Wake up. Start living this life. Start paying attention to what you're doing. Start taking this seriously. And this is the key thing for him here. Start taking your faith seriously because time is running out. Time is running out. Now, he starts saying, instead of living a life, and he uses the word darkness, instead live these decent lives. And so he's kind of, got this comparison between decent lives and darkness. And then he runs through some of the darkness things and there's, there's a, you know, sort of a sort of nasty list of stuff going on there. But what's very interesting is that what really defines the difference between living decent lives and the way he describes decent lives in other parts of the Bible and the way he describes living in darkness, it really comes down to this. Are we living to love ourselves or are we living to love others? Decent lives are living to love others. If you look at, uh, in fact, if you jump back in chapter 13 um, to verse 8, he says, Owe nothing to anyone except for your obligation to love one another. If you love your neighbor... You fulfill the requirements of God's law. The entirety of the law, all 300 some laws and and rules and all of that sort of stuff, get summed up by love God and love others. Love your neighbor as yourself. But even he's saying, you can't love God without loving your neighbor. It's not do one and then do the other. The two are completely connected because God loves his children. So if we don't love his children, we're not loving him. You can't love him and hate people or or ignore people or just set people aside. You cannot live in a personal me and God bubble because that is not loving God. God wants us to love each other, which is why... And going back to our little street map, and you look at all of the ways where he says, you need to serve God, right? Romans 12, 1, because he has rescued you, you give your bodies, your lives as in service to God, right? How does it play out? Almost all of them play out by loving other people. So much of what he says about serving God isn't necessarily sing me songs, give me money, do this for me. Build me a statue. He's not saying that. He's saying, you want to love me? Get out there and love your neighbor. Look after people. Care for people. Take care of people. It all is part of our service to God. 
Owe nothing to anyone except your obligation to love each other. That's what God is looking for us. And that's why it's so important for us to support projects like Back to School Project. That is exactly what they aim to do, to love our neighbors, especially our neighbors who aren't able to provide for their own families. We can. So we're going to jump in and do that because we would love them. That's our act of worship to God. That's our act of service to God is to love those around us. Simple, powerful ways of seeking the betterment of others. So that's what he is talking about. That's how we engage God and respond to God is to love each other. Now, Paul then jumps in, or actually before that, I'm kind of moving backwards a little bit. But in chapter 12, he gives us a very specific way that we can love the people around us in response to what God has done for us. And that is by blessing those who persecute you. So loving each other even extends to those who don't love us, those who hurt us, those who do damage to us. He calls us to not persecute, not judge, not take revenge, but to bless them. To give us some context for, and uh, put this idea in perspective of how difficult this would have been for them. It's difficult for us, but you can imagine how difficult it would have been for them. I've got a little bit of a video postcard from Nate. Um, took a little while to get here. I mean, he's been back for ages, but that's all right. Nate um, did a little filming uh, while he was in Rome, so check out this video. Buongiorno. We're in Rome today, and we're visiting the Colosseum. And to be honest, it's kind of surreal for me because growing up, I was only around buildings that were maybe two or 300 years old. This one, 2,000 years old. It was built in AD 70, and it quickly became a symbol of Rome's might and power. But to the Christians of that time, it was a symbol of persecution, of, of suffering, of pain. And this would be the case for Paul, the writer of Romans. Now, there were a lot of different ways that the Romans would kill uh, the criminals and the Christians of Rome. But the most famous way was probably as you may have, may have heard, to be fed to the lions or other wild animals right here in the Colosseum. And the Roman citizens would come on their lunch breaks and watch for a bit of light entertainment. But can you imagine being out here in the street as a Christian of that time and, and hearing the roar of the crowd of up to 50,000 people cheering in delight as your brothers and sisters are mauled to death by wild animals? Can you imagine the feelings of of fear and anger just boiling up inside you. They got a letter from the Apostle Paul, the, the Christians of Rome. And this is what he told them around that time. He said, bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Never pay back evil with more evil, but do things in such a way that everyone can see that you are honorable. Do all that you can do to live at peace with everyone. Dear friends, Never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, give them something to eat. And if they're thirsty, give them something to drink. And in doing so, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads. So do not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil. How? By doing good. Can you imagine going through all of that, but acting like this? 
It's a powerful sort of idea, isn't it? Blows me away. There are Christians living, probably not in Paul's time, they were getting some persecution, but after Paul's time when things really kicked in and Christians were actively chased and, and killed, that they would respond not with anger and revenge, but with love and compassion. If they could do that, shouldn't we? I mean, what, what's happening to us right now that is worse than getting mauled by a lion? I've never been mauled by a lion, okay? I don't know what that is like. I'm guessing it's bad. I'm guessing it's not wonderful. And I'm guessing that having one of my loved ones face that is traumatic. Now, I'm not saying, I'm not belittling the trauma that we go through, because we do go through some stuff. But we have an example of people who would face that. But because of what God had done for them, and they kept that front and center, because of the first 11 chapters of Romans, they were able to stand under the power of God and say, that person who literally murdered my friends and family members, I will not take revenge on them. Instead, I'm going to pray God's blessing on them. Can you imagine doing that? Can you imagine if we did that? Can you imagine if the one billion people on this planet who call themselves Christians actually started doing that? That every time someone made fun of them, every time someone threw a rock at them, every time somewhere in North Korea or in China or in Afghanistan or in Pakistan, someone was beaten, a church was burnt, or someone was dealt with harshly or killed, that everybody around them would come together and pray for the people who did it. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine what it would do to the communities that they were in? Can you imagine what it would do to our community when people gather as Christians and publicly say good things about the world and publicly say, we want to see the world blessed. We want people who persecute us, we want them to thrive and flourish. Not because we agree with what's going on, but because we love them. Because we first have been loved. Can you imagine the impact that it would have on our world? It'd be incredible. Paul says, bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. What an incredibly counter-cultural, counter-intuitive approach. But how? How do we do that? How do we sort of access that kind of love for other people? I think we need to remember that that's exactly what God did for us. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at the right time and died for us sinners. He didn't wait for us 
to become good. He didn't even wait for us to care. When we were still sinners, and I'll, this translation kind of softens it, but there's this idea of enemies. When we were the enemies of God, when we rejected the authority of the king of the universe, the one who created everything, the one who has ultimate power, the only one who actually deserves glory and honor, when we looked at him and said, no, nah, I'm good, thanks. I prefer me. While we were still doing that, God said, I love that guy. I love that girl. I'm going to go and die for them. That's when he acted. That reality can spur us on to love and care for our enemies even while they are still our enemies with the power of God helping us. It's interesting that um, you look at Rome, you look at the situation that they were in, and these, these are actively trying to persecute Christians. They don't like the, the religion. They're trying to get rid of it. And these Christians are responding not with anger or rebellion. They're not up, there's no uprisings. They're not trying to burn down the Colosseum. They're just loving they go to their neighbors and they love their neighbors. They go out on the streets and they serve and they care and they look after people. Well, look what happened. Look what happened in Rome. Within 300 years, Christianity had gone from this tiny little speck that they're trying to squash out and it seeped through subversively but powerfully through culture, through all of the homes in Rome to the point that 300 years later was declared the, the official religion. Now, there's a lot of stories and politics and stuff that go along with that. But the point is, Christianity conquered Rome. How? Through love. Through love. Not through the sword. If Rome can be conquered by love, why not New Zealand? Do not let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. That's how we win. That's how we change the world. That's how we take over. But it will take love, and it will take love in action. It will take an urgency, like the final seconds of the hockey game. We're going to have to step it up. We're going to have to ramp up our urgency and our desire to help people. And it's going to take keeping our focus on what God has done for us, the love he first gave us, so that we can give that love to others. It's going to take all of us together. So let's get to it. Let's make our lives lives of love.